It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the mind of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, May 27th, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Hope you're having a, uh, a good, relaxing weekend, getting away from work a little bit, watching some soccer, of course. The LA Galaxy playing on Friday, winning 1-0 at Orlando, snapping that four-game losing streak. So some good news for the Galaxy there as they approach a short week against Sporting Kansas City, another short week with New England Revolution coming up on Sunday, June 2nd. So a lot of games to be played in the next eight or so days, in the next seven or so, in the next six or so days, whenever you look at it. Uh, so the Galaxy uh, under the pressure, but looking to close out May here with a little bit better than what they started with. All right, in order to help me is the panda himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kev, how's it going, buddy? All right, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. It was, it's... It's always weird trying to do this on a on a holiday weekend. I was sort of I texted you this morning. I was like, "Hey, are we are we still recording? Because it's Monday and I haven't I've I haven't been at work. So it feels weird." Yeah, I, there are no holidays for me. Every day is Groundhog's Day. It's just get up, go to the computer, and start pounding on the keyboard. I, you know, I I guess intellectually I knew it was a holiday, but it never really it didn't affect me. I was going to be doing the same thing anyway. So when you sent me that message, it was like, "What are you talking about? Of course we're going to record." <laughs> yeah, of course we're doing it. Hey, I uh, want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. Uh, thank you to all the people who are uh, in the service and uh, protecting our freedom. We appreciate that. And of course, anybody we've lost in any of the major wars and any of the conflicts, we of course salute you e- on even this the minor wars. Even the minor. Okay, I should. You're right. Any any of the wars. You're right. Minor wars, major wars, all that stuff. But uh, we're we're certainly uh, proud that we can uh, we can celebrate a little bit of that here on the podcast today. And uh, maybe do something the the best that we can of course Kevin which is talk about uh, the LA Galaxy and soccer um, and see sort of where that leads us but the LA Galaxy I don't know if it was surprising it wasn't surprising because Orlando isn't a good team but the Galaxy really haven't been a good team over the last four or five games either so whenever you look at all this you sort of I'm trying to fit my mind around what you saw on Friday night um, the LA Galaxy winning one nothing over Orlando City in Orlando, a place they had never won before. Um, not like it was some long streak, by the way. It was just two games that they never never won there. Um, so they they've now won there. Um, it was, and I want to say the quintessential sort of smash and grab MLS win on the road, which is you have one shot on target, you score on it, and then you defend like crazy for most of the game. Uh, and that's sort of what the Galaxy got. And they, and they got three points out of it. I thought it was well-deserved three points whenever you understand that that's how you play some of these away games. Well, David Bingham, who made the save of the game, the penalty uh, uh, shot stop against Nani, uh, said afterwards, look, we didn't play well. Um, you know, and, and everyone, he, you know, his thought was everyone's going to agree that we did not play well, but we won. And we got three points on the road, and we're definitely going to take that. And, and we'll we'll fix the style of play later, but we're going to go home with these three points. Well, you, you needed the three points, right? I mean, the Galaxy needed these three points. They needed something out of this game because they gave up the three points they really should have had against Colorado uh, when they played a good game and lost. I mean, here's, here's the perfect example of MLS and how sort of fickle it can be, Kevin, is the Galaxy played fairly well against Colorado. Uh, had 14 shots from inside the box and lose that game one to nothing. And here is a game where they get outshot by a ton to a little. Um, as a matter of fact, 19 to four is the total on that. Uh, seven to one on target. Again, the Galaxy get one shot on target. Jonathan Dos Santos's goal, um, and and that's the difference. That's the only difference in this game. I mean, if you want to say that the Galaxy didn't play well, that's fine. I get it because it wasn't a pretty game, but on the road in Major League Soccer, when you have to travel 2,200-something miles, uh, 2,218, that's right, I did it exactly, 2,218 miles between LAX and Orlando, um, so you do that, you get there, you had, you, you were playing without Zlatan Ibrahimovic, so the Galaxy again down to one designated player. Uh, by the way, designated players have played 60% of the total minutes so far in 20. Uh, 19, which is uh, very reminiscent of, of things that we had seen in 2018 uh, with the LA Galaxy and how bad they've been. So, um, you know, that's something to keep in mind as well. But you go out there and Jonathan Dos Santos, again, the guy who I say is the best player on the team for the LA Galaxy, uh, goes out there, scores a goal, um, and that ends up being the game winner. David Bingham, as you pointed out, Kevin, was the, probably my man of the match, made six saves, stopped Nani on the uh, on the penalty kick goal in the 32nd minute, um, had to make some big saves, did so comfortably. I thought the defense played well. Um, I thought there was a bunch of positive things you can take from this that you, when you look at the Colorado game, where I think Kevin, you and I had talked, you know, 
of 33 uh, crosses into the box by the LA Galaxy in that Colorado game. Um, and they're all in the air and they're all trying to hit the smallest target in Emmanuel Boateng. You now sort of, you know, take that and look at what they did with their crosses against Orlando. A bunch of stuff on the ground. In fact, the ball that ends up coming out to Jonathan Dos Santos is a cross that's on the ground that's more dangerous than the cross that they've been sort of putting over the air, in the air and over top of everybody. It wasn't perfect. But for me, you have to understand the situation that the Galaxy were in, which is losers of four on the road in Orlando, um, and they need they scored a goal, and they did what they needed to do to get the win. Well, and, you know, there was some talk on the TV broadcast, or at least the Orlando people were talking about it, that uh, Brian Rowe, uh, there's some more Galaxy uh, alumni news, which we'll do some more of that later, but Brian Rowe, the goalkeeper for Orlando, may not have even seen the shot from yeah. Jonathan Dos Santos because of the sun and some other things and, and being shielded by some players. Uh, and I mentioned that not to not to cheapen the goal, but just to say that, you know, the Galaxy did, I don't want to say they got lucky, but we talked a lot about on this show how there are games that you play really well and you don't win. Uh, and then there are games when you don't play well and you do win. And those three points count just as much as any other three points. And that's what a championship club does. It wins those games that probably it didn't play well enough to win. And so that's why I agree with you. I think this was a huge result for the Galaxy because they had lost four in a row. They weren't playing well. They, they were missing their captain and leading scorer. And, and and they won on a goal that maybe the goalkeeper, uh, the opposing goalkeeper, didn't see. I mean, and, and then you have your goalkeeper stop a penalty shot, which doesn't happen all that often. Uh, I, I think it's the stats are something like 90% of penalty shots uh, wind up scoring. So a lot of good things to take out of that result, even if the team did not play well. And, and again, David Bingham admitted that it was a poor game, but it was three points. Yeah, three points is, is always good. That was uh, David Bingham's first penalty kick stop of the year. Uh, Actually, no, it's not. He stopped one in April. He stopped one in April, even though it said in the Galaxy's notes that it was his first one. Yeah, once I saw that in the Galaxy notes, I decided to go look it up. Oh, and so, he so, did so, stop okay. one in April. All right, then throw the Galaxy notes out. All right, it happens. Um, all right, so he, uh, so so that's where you get. I mean, Jonathan Dos Santos now has his second goal of the season. Uh, he didn't have a great game. He had an okay game, but he was the reason that uh, the penalty kick was, uh, was eventually awarded to Orlando, and Nani then took it in, I think, the 32nd minute. I think you already pointed that out. So Jonathan Dos Santos didn't have, but we, I mean, one of the biggest threads and sort of takeaways of this game here, Kevin, is that we've known now, as we've been watching Jonathan Dos Santos, we know he's injured. We know there's a hip, a hip injury here. He made it through 90 minutes of this game, which is which is a ton whenever you think about it. Um, that has to be an important thread that links not only this Colorado game, but also this, uh, this Orlando game, and then looks at the Sporting Kansas City game that's coming up. Jonathan Dos Santos not being 100% right now, complaining about his hip, uh, and not playing up to 100%, but still ends up getting the goal against Orlando. I mean, he's turning out to be the Galaxy's MVP, and, and you can sort of see why. He scores, he stays in there, he helps them win this game. Uh, we can talk about the sub that came in that I thought also helped them win this game, but, uh, I mean, you know, the, the threat about Jonathan Dos Santos and being injured is way more important than a lot of the things we're probably going to talk about today. Well, and you know what? I, I don't know this for a fact, I'm, I, but I'm just looking at what he says and the way he's started to stand up after games. Now, wh what a guy says to the media isn't necessarily, you know, all that important. And, and I, as a media person, I don't want to say, look, you, you know, what his interaction with the media is the most important thing. But it does filter down to the players. And the point I'm trying to make is that after the last couple of games, he has stood up and taken responsibility uh, and been accountable both for his performance and for the team's performance because in the last two games he wore the armband. He said after uh, both games that the hip was bothering him, but it wasn't an excuse. He said after the Orlando game, he said, if you go onto the field, you need to be you need to play at 100%, even if you're hurt. Otherwise, you're hurting your team. So um, he, he's talking about the pain. He says, I just have to play through it. The team needs me. I need to be there for the team. And if I'm not 100%, I won't go on the field, even though I'm not 100%. So, I, I mean, I think that kind of stand, uh, standing up and taking the responsibility and being accountable, I think that's going to play really, really well in, in the locker room. Um, he wasn't a big voice. He wasn't a big personality in the locker room the last couple of years when his brother was there. But he's really emerging and, and sort of coming out of the shadows to be a guy that, uh, you know, the media and the coaching staff and his team all kind of look to for guidance and, and 
you know, to 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 speak for the team. And it, I've been really impressed the way he's handled himself, especially the last month. Yeah, you, you've seen it. Um, yeah, maybe it was, you know, just the influence of his brother. I, I certainly think that had something to do with it. Uh, the fact that one of the biggest criticisms of Jonathan and Gio last year, Kevin, was that any knock they had kept them out of the, the game. I mean, you know, any little thing. Um, you saw them during the uh, the famous LAFC game whenever Zlatan made his debut. Uh, they weren't on the field for that game. Uh, they were in the box. They were in the stands. Um, they weren't playing. And so so sort of the knock against them was that any little injury they had, they're not going to play. And so to see Jonathan Dos Santos playing through something right now and to talk about playing through something and to say, hey, listen, I'm going to give 100% out there. I don't care if my hip is hurting me right now. And and I certainly think ha- that has something to do with Mexico and the Gold Cup, and, and we can sort of talk about that angle as well. But for Jonathan Dos Santos right now, the most important thing on his mind is being on that field. And, and for the Galaxy, one of the most important things is for Jonathan Dos Santos to be on that field because when he's not on the field, the Galaxy do not hold possession and they're they're open a lot defensively. They get a lot more wide open. Nobody's been able to sit in that spot and play the same way that Jonathan Dos Santos does. Now, maybe that's because Servando Carrasco was sort of the guy who had to come in and replace Jonathan Dos Santos and, and you know, to not to, uh, to belittle Carrasco, but to look at the drop-off between those guys, between Jonathan Dos Santos and Servando Carrasco, it's, it's a, you know, it's a grand canyon of a cliff whenever you, you really look at that. Um, now, the, the sub I was talking about that I think really helped the LA Galaxy win this, and I think maybe it's Guillermo learning um, and people can argue whether or not they think that's correct but in my mind this is Guillermo learning and also Guillermo having a healthier roster but to bring somebody like Barry Kitchen into this game uh, to be able to bring Perry Kitchen in, into a game where the LA Galaxy were then able to uh, put in more defense um, so Perry Kitchen comes in the 56th minute for uh, Emil Cuello. So Cuello ended up starting this game, which I think was a little bit of a surprise. The, the big surprises on the starting lineup, which we haven't covered yet, um, was Cuello starting. Um, and then it was also that Shelvick got the start and Polenta was nowhere to be found because Polenta apparently did not travel. Uh, he picked up an ankle injury just before the team left for Orlando. So that seems like that was maybe a little bit of a last minute change because otherwise I think Diego Polenta was going to start over there on the left-hand side for Shelvick. So Shelvick ends up getting the start uh, over there and, and did fine. I mean, people are going to yell at, at Jorgen Shelvick because he's never going to be worth the amount of money that he is being paid. But at the same time, he played this game just fine. Felcher played fine. Gonzalez played fine. Steras played fine. Bingham played fine. Um, all of those things were, were good on the defensive side. But whenever you're able to bring Perry Kitchen in, it's a different look for the LA Galaxy because what it, allowed, what it ended up doing was an injured Jonathan Dos Santos. And certainly you could see that towards the end of the game there, Kevin, he wasn't able to get as far forward and trying to come back. It was a more of work getting back. So what Guillermo ended up doing in the 56th minute, which was early, but ended up working, was bringing Perry Kitchen in and then setting Perry Kitchen as a defensive midfielder still above Jonathan Dos Santos. So Dos Santos was able to protect the back four. Perry Kitchen was able to take the center of the field. And then the LA Galaxy sort of had to work around and sort of had a, uh, a an Alvarez uh, with Fabio Alvarez and Joe Corona moving up a little bit higher up the field um, and Leggett sort of staying out on that wing where we have been told that he would never play, but he's playing there. And, and I think that, uh, that he's going to continue to find his form there, you were able to see the LA Galaxy take this more defensive stance on the road in a game that they wanted to win. I mean, worst case scenario is Guillermo looks at this and says, okay, worst case scenario is we give up a goal and it's a draw and we get out of here with a point. And I think that in the past, Guillermo has wanted to sort of put the pedal down and try to just strangle out these games with the offensive power the LA Galaxy have. Instead, he goes and leans against the defensive side of things uh, for the LA Galaxy from the 56th minute on and the Galaxy are able to, to hold out and, and do a good job. I think that's a that's a really interesting takeaway from from this sort of segment uh, for for this from this game. Well, another takeaway and and looking into the uh, looking ahead to the Kansas City game on Wednesday is Zlatan did not play because of the suspension. Didn't play in the last two games. The Galaxy scored one goal in those two games, um, but he is he, by not going to Orlando. He did not have to travel five thousand miles, um, you know, come back to LA and then travel to Kansas City. So um, he's the oldest outfield player in the league, and and he definitely needs to have his time. I think a little bit monitored. Monitored. So this was a 
not not a good thing. I'm sure the Galaxy would like to have him play in that game, but the fact that he got the rest, didn't have to make the trip, now can play fresh in the last two games before the Gold Cup break. There's a three-week Gold Cup break coming up. The Galaxy have two games Wednesday and Sunday before that. Zlatan will be fresh. And so if if Jonathan slowed a little bit, if some other players are a little weary, uh, Zlatan's coming back, having not played in two games, he'll be fresh. That'll be great. You know, the Galaxy have not won in Kansas City since 2007. Right. And at that time, the team was called the Wizards, and they played in a different state. They played in Missouri instead of Kansas City, Kansas. So it's been a long time. It's been that's been a nightmare trip for the Galaxy, who have gone there a number of times, needing big wins. I remember at the end of uh, one season, they were fighting for playoff contention and, fight, uh, and fighting for a first round bye, and they went to Kansas City, and the best they could get was a draw. I think that was 2015. So it's been a a place where the Galaxy have traditionally struggled, um, and, and this time they go there with a, a little bit of a battered lineup, a tired lineup. Um, it, with a win, they can move to second in the conference standing. So it's definitely a big game. Yeah, I mean, it, this was, and I think Guillermo talked about it, saying, you know, this was sort of the makeup points for that they wanted to get back from, like, that New York Red Bull game. Um, you know, this is the makeup points for, for trying to, for, for losing to Columbus, you know, midweek. And you, you just, you, you look at all these things, and it was such an important win, and the way that the Galaxy played was so important. Again, I, I think this is a roadmap for how the LA Galaxy win on the road, and I know that that, that might scare people because you say, well, that wasn't a very good game whenever you look at it, and, and certainly not whenever you look at the possession, uh, you know, 57 to 43%. Um, the Galaxy did have possession in that first half, and when they scored the goal, I mean that ultimately that came out of their possession. Um, so whenever they give that back, and sort of looking at you know the 56, 57th minute when they go more defensive, they did invite the pressure. I mean, having Perry Kitchen on that field was an invitation for uh, for Orlando to attack, and Sasha Kleshin coming in certainly affected that game. He came in and had a lot of a, a, a success for Orlando and really put the Galaxy in some difficult positions, but, um, you know, again, this is the, the smash-and-grab mentality of playing on the road in Major League Soccer. You had a whole bunch of negatives going against this this LA Galaxy team. You didn't have Zlatan Ibrahimovic, so the question was, who's going to score the goals? Uh, you didn't have... You, you had to travel, um, and then you had the heat, which was basically about 80, 85, 80 88 degrees, something like that. And with the humidity, it ended up pushing the heat index into the, like the 90, 95s. Um, so whenever you look at all of those things combined, um, you can sort of see that there was some things stacked up against the LA Galaxy, not to mention that Orlando was coming off of a win um, just the week pre previous. So they f had felt like there was some momentum, some momentum. And again, Orlando's not a good team, but to say that the Galaxy should have beat Orlando with all those situa situations stacking up against each other, I think it's just, it's, it's not an accurate depiction of what it's like to play in Major League Soccer. Now, the same thing's going to be true whenever we look at Sporting Kansas City. There's going to be a bunch of things stacked against the Galaxy, but there's also going to be some things that I think sort of lean in that, that right direction. So, um, you know, for me... I thought it was a fairly well-played game. Uh, you once again saw, though, Kevin, that the LA Galaxy don't have much of a uh, striker option off the bench uh, whenever you don't have somebody. If you're keeping Antuna in the game or you're trying to do something different, they eventually brought in uh, Ethan Zubek in the 74th minute, and he played for Fabio Alvarez. Um, and I thought Alvarez had another pretty solid game in terms of what they were trying to do for him. But uh, you could see that there was some frustration with the Galaxy coaches. Um, there was some frustration with the Galaxy players and just trying to play um, out of the pressure of Orlando. And there was no possession in that second half. So that did tire out the LA Galaxy. I think somebody asked, Kevin, whenever you're watching the game, you certainly saw that the Galaxy got tired there in the second half. And somebody said, you know, well, why did the Galaxy, why are the Galaxy always so tired in the second half? And I'm like, well, this game specifically, here are the reasons. Uh, one is the travel. Two, is the heat and the humidity and three is that the galaxy tend to play a really tough high-paced first half and usually have nothing left in the second half um, and i don't know if that's a coaching idea of how you eventually coach that to have your players be able to give more of a a, a solid complete cohesive effort across 90 minutes or is it more important kevin to play really really good for 45 minutes um and then be able to either get a lead or or you know put a bunch of pressure on a team and then be able to just ride out that second 45 minutes for me i'd like i think a, a more cohesive 90 minutes but the galaxy seem to be able to put pressure on in such swarms in occasion that a lot of times they can overpower teams uh, and put the ball over the over the line so there's there's a whole bunch of things at play with the galaxy whenever you watch them play against orlando and again i don't think orlando's a a, a very good team i wouldn't consider a very good team there. And that was just the Galaxy's second one on the road this year. The first one was April 5th in Vancouver. So, you know, that's 
something pretty widespread in, in MLS. Everyone seems to struggle on the road. Um, but you made a point about without Zlatan, the, the, the feeling going in was where is the offense going to come from? And I think everyone was looking to Antuna and, and Fabio Alvarez, who, as you pointed out, did have a good game. But again, more going back to Jonathan, how he's become a stand-up guy and someone that the team can depend on. You know, second goal of the season, not a guy that scores a lot of goals, but, you know, came through when the team needed them. And and it, I think that's just sort of more ammunition about how he is becoming the, a guy that the team can definitely rely on, which we were talking before we started recording. We're talking about Jonathan definitely having the hip issue, being injured, could really, really, really use that three-week Gold Cup break. But he's not going to get it. Um, we talked about the possibility of Dennis calling his friends at the Mexican Federation and and saying, hey, you guys, how about letting Jonathan stay here? He's really important to the club. Um, you know, we're paying a salary. He shouldn't have to go to the Gold Cup. You know what he can do. Um, I, I don't anticipate that happening, though, because already Tata Martino's Gold Cup team, this will be, remember, his first competitive tournament, first competitive game will be at the Rose Bowl in, in mid-June when uh, Mexico opens the Gold Cup. He's already missing. Uh, Chucky Lozano just uh, pulled out of the team with a partially torn ligament. Hector Herrera, Carlos Vela, Chicharito, they all are not going to be on that team. Miguel Leun needs to have a kidney operation. He will not be on that team. Jesus Corona, he's having a spat with the Federation now. Uh, he was not selected. So, you know, that that's uh, right there. You know, six of their of Mexico's top frontline players will not be on the Gold Cup roster. They can't afford to lose another one. So I fully expect uh, Jonathan to go and play for Mexico and probably play a lot, even though that may not be the best thing for the Galaxy. Yeah, it's 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 one of those conundrums. It's, it's the fact in, you know that we've sort of beat over the beat to death over the last couple shows. Um, when you look at the LA Galaxy and how many internationals they have and the internationals that they could be missing, up to five internationals coming up in this Gold Cup break, and that means that about four games will be affected whenever you look at the fact that the tournament you know, doesn't really start until June 15th. Uh, the break starts after June 2nd. That allows everybody to get to camp, start training, doing all that, and then basically make it through you know, the group stages, and then that's it. And then anybody who advances past the group stages, which you would expect that Mexico and the United States both make it past, um, whether or not Costa Rica does as well, um, is certainly up for, uh, for a question as well but you can look and you know as many as five players with Rolf Felcher going down to Copa America with Venezuela as well um, so all of these things sort of filtering in but you look at Jonathan Dos Santos and I think there's there's two things that have sort of been our ultimate truth so far through 14 games with the LA Galaxy Kevin um, and you can see I'll, I'll see if you disagree or, or agree with these but the overall truth is uh, as Jonathan Dos Santos plays the LA Galaxy play when he has a good game that the LA Galaxy tend to play very well um, and then the other one is that Roman Allison Drini was probably a more important piece to this team than everybody was willing to admit, uh, even as he was sort of struggling through the beginning of the season and, not, and it's seemingly not having a great effect on this team. His absence has certainly affected this team um, in terms of once he has been injured, he has not been playing uh, and the Galaxy have not been winning. So those sort of seem like my fundamental truths so far. If you want to add a third one in there, it's that when Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores goals, the LA Galaxy win. Um, so those ones, those are maybe those are my three. Or do you you agree or disagree with any of those? Well, you know, the Orlando game was just the second time that they've won uh, since Roman went out. He went out April nineteenth. So so we got uh, one, two, three. We, that's uh, seven games, and they've won two since Roman went out. So yeah, he has been a very important part of the team. And you're right about Jonathan. He does seem to. I mean, his position is so key. You know, because of the way that GBS wants to play, he's really that link behind uh, between the back line and and pushing the ball forward to the midfield. That everything goes through the midfield. Um, it's not going over the top anymore. Um, they're playing the ball forward very methodically, and, and it has to come up with somebody. And when you look at that midfield, yeah, um, Corona's good, Sebastian Legette's good, but no one can do what Jonathan does. And we and again, we found that out. And uh, you're right, no knock on Servando Carrasco, but very few people in the world are Jonathan Dos Santos. And so when he is out or not playing well, you can bring in Servando Carrasco, you can bring in Juninho, although you can't bring him in now because he's dealing with a concussion. Um, but you can bring in players who um, – uh, you know, they just simply can't do that. And it's it's not a fault of them. It's just Jonathan is such a key part of this team, what he brings intangible-wise, but uh, very much on the field as well. Yeah, it's it's when he's going to be hidden on the stats a lot. I mean, the fact that he scores a goal is great. Uh, he also, like I said, gave out the penalty kick. So there's a little bit of culpability. Uh, somebody asked what he was thinking whenever he made the challenge. I said, you know, an injured player is trying to make it through as best you can. If you're watching Jonathan Dos Santos play right now, you know he's not 100%. You can see it. 
Um, there's little mistakes, little things that are a change. But you know, I, I also have to point out that on the goal, you you can. You, I love the goal. It's you know, it's a rebound off of a, a cross, and it was a dangerous cross, and it was good put in by Felcher, a great cross. Um, exactly where I'd like to see the ball sort of played back towards that penalty kick mark on the ground uh, where you had Galaxy players crashing. Orlando was lucky enough to get a foot on it. Uh, Joe Corona was tracking it, and then you know Jonathan Dos Santos hits it one time and, and buries it on the right side past Brian Rowan. Whether Rowe was shielded or not, it looked like it, it snuck in over on that side. Uh, but the big deal is that Jonathan Dos Santos also started that play. It was that big switch cross to Rolf Felcher, who hit Felcher exactly in stride. It was Felcher being able to bring that ball down, and a great job by Rolf to do that. So all of those things sort of mixing together to create that goal for the LA Galaxy. And again, it's Jonathan Dos Santos. A, a lot of times not on the uh, on the score sheet uh, whenever you see the things that he does, but in this particular case, it, it is on the score sheet, and he does do a great job. And again, David Bingham, the man of the match. You were talking about... Um, you know, away points uh, for the LA Galaxy. Seven away points so far in 2019 uh, for the LA Galaxy. Uh, let's see, in 2018, they had 20 total points. In 2017, they had 18 total points. I'm trying to think of if you wanted, in 2003, they had six road points total. Um, so already the 2019 LA Galaxy better than uh, than the 2013 LA Galaxy. In 2015, they only had 12 road points. So only five points away from that. Um, which I think is all just interesting whenever you're trying to compare all this stuff. The bottom line is that, you know, in the best years, the LA Galaxy find a way to win on the road. Uh, and if you're looking in the modern time for the LA Galaxy, Kevin, 2010, uh, a team that won the Supporter Shield and probably should have won an MLS Cup that year, but it wasn't to be. Uh, but in 2010, they had 30 points on the road. Uh, in 2011, they had 26 points on the road. So if you're going to be a championship caliber team, you find a way to get points on the road. And if you remember those 2010 and 2011 teams, it was like, okay, so the Galaxy won't lose, but they'll probably draw those games on the road. And that's usually what happened. Those teams were good enough that when they weren't playing well, they were getting points. They were getting a point, you know, here and there. They weren't getting losses and, and everything else. So I just think it's uh, it, it's really hard to win on the road in Major League Soccer, but the good teams figure out a way to sort of get points on the road whenever they do that. They win some games here and there um, and they sort of survive. The, the big difference between all those years and this year, though, of course, Kevin, is that we know that this year is a much more condensed schedule and you're going to play midweek games on the road and you're going to play you know, um, on the road, you know, after short turnaround. So I think that only increases the the dramatic effect, and it'll be interesting to see what that what it ends up being at the end of this MLS season. But how much of an advantage the home team has? We know there's always been an advantage, but did it increase because of the congested schedule this year, or did it stay the same? So, all well, I want to say something more about about Jonathan Dos Santos' importance, and maybe how, as you said, you look at the, at the stats, and it doesn't necessarily jump out at you what he's doing. I was reading a story in the New York Times Sunday Magazine yesterday. It was about how Liverpool has. Uh, brought uh, on these uh, these basically scientists mm -hmm. uh, to to work with um, some of the statistics and and to measure players uh, how players actually uh, contribute to victories and and without watching the video just looking at statistically what they do passes and things like that and you know they talked about it, some of the, the the people that were interviewed in the article talked about how there may be a guy that's very athletic very fast has booming crosses into the box and you look at him and you say that guy's really the best player but when you analyze how the game actually unfolded it may be the smaller weaker slower player on the other side whose crosses come into the box much more meekly but are more effective. They, they come in, in into a better area. They actually set up scoring chances. So a lot of times what you see with your eyes may not be uh, the stuff that really affects the game. So, you know, with Jonathan, I think that's true. I think you have to sort of take a look at not necessarily at what you see, but the effect of the passes that he makes, the effects of the, of the touches that he gets, you know, whether they're in dangerous positions, whether he sets up dangerous plays. And sometimes you need to go to it, like, as you said, with the – the score in Orlando, you need to go back two or three passes and find out where Jonathan was and, and what his contribution to that scoring play was. And that Orlando situation was scenario was a great example. He started the play and he finished the play. Yeah, he did. Uh, always, always, again, he's one of those guys I enjoy watching. I think if you watch him, I wouldn't say he goes unnoticed. He does, goes unnoticed on the score sheet or on the box score. But if you're watching these games, usually you can see whenever he's what he does in the midfield and how much he runs and how much 
space he covers and how he really provides that sort of backstop for the back four and, and starts things going off um, in the other direction. I'll go uh, shift here a little bit. Uh, the LA Galaxy now through 14 games, Kevin, 8-5-1, 25 points. Uh, if you're looking at them in 2017, all right, remember 2017 was one of the worst uh, seasons in Major League Soccer history for the LA Galaxy. It was the worst in their history uh, for the Galaxy. They ended up with uh, just 32 total points on the on the year. But through 14 games in 2017, the LA Galaxy had 19 points. So they were 5-5-4. Five, five, and four. Uh, the LA Galaxy in 2019 are 8-5-1. and one. So they are only six points ahead of where they were in that 2017 team. Um, I'll, I'll say the same thing for the for the 2018 team. Uh, right now, they had 17 points in 28. Uh, in 2018, and that's uh, that's sort of where, where they were sitting um, through that same time. So again, not too far off these paces, but what I can tell you is that in 2017, Kevin, uh, whenever the LA Galaxy finally got more than 25 points or at 25 points or greater was the 26th game of the season. So they went from the 14th game at 19 points to finally cresting the 26 point, uh, 25 point uh, uh, a limit there in the 26th game. So they didn't play very well in between those, and that's sort of what ended their season and how it looks. In, in 2018, uh, it was only the 18th game, so just about four games difference in terms of that. So if you're looking and sort of trying to track these things and how they're going, um, it's interesting. You know how I keep charts of, uh, well, I keep charts of like everything, but one, but one of the things I keep charts of, Kevin, is sort of, you know, the points um, and, and the point totals and how they go up over each year. And that allows me to sort of look at different years and go, oh, so which team does this team sort of, what trend line is this team sort of on or where were they tied with her right now? I'll tell you right now that the 2010 team that I just talked about that was one of the best in Major League Soccer, um, that was one of the best in LA Galaxy history and certainly one of the top point getters in the regular season for Major League Soccer as well. Uh, if you look at that, this team right now um, actually looks like they have um, they're they're about one point shy of where that 2010 team was. Uh, the sort of difference between that is that if you look at the 2010 uh, sort of points and how they go, they start to skyrocket right around this point. So um, if the Galaxy get on a hot streak and sort of put it together, you know, you could see something similar to a 2010 team. If not, you could see something similar to a 2017 team is sort of what I'm trying to get. It seems like this point of the year is kind of where teams decide what they're going to be, whether they're going to be good teams or bad teams. And with two games left before the, the Gold Cup break, I think it's important the Galaxy get some positive results out of the next two games. Well, and we haven't really seen this this team play well. I mean, look yeah. back. What game have you seen that you said, oh, well, that's it. That's as good as they're going to be. Uh, you know, I, there's been problems in every game that they've played so far this year. I don't think they've even come close to hitting stride. And after this Gold Cup break, I think you're right. I mean, I think when they start playing in late June, early July, especially when they get everybody back, from international duty and Fabio Alvarez gets a little bit more comfortable and some of the newer players they brought in um, start to gel a little bit more and the back line starts to work a little bit better together even though they've been very good. I, I think there's a lot more out there for this LA Galaxy team to to accomplish. I think there's a lot more that they can do and I think they're only going to get better. Um, and so you're right. I mean, this is the time when they traditionally start building momentum and there's a reason for that. And maybe even more so with this team. We know that Fabio Alvarez is going to be a very important part of this team going forward. He's only played two games. He probably doesn't even know everybody's name yet. So <laughs> it's only going to get better as long as everyone stays healthy and Zlatan doesn't get suspended a whole lot anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think the counter argument to, you know, that they could, they could play better is sort of the 2015 team where you kept expecting them to sort of be like, this team is so much better than the way that they're playing and they're so much better than that and you know it never really came together in 2015 uh, and 2015 was still a very good year it was just a, a down year in terms of you know what what Bruce Arena had done uh, in, in previous years with that um, so I think it's just it, it's it's one of the if you ask me what the best game they played I think their best win so far has probably been over Philadelphia just because Philadelphia has ended up being a very good team in the Eastern Conference and that may end up being one of their better wins um, I think Vancouver might have been a very good win for them but again you look at those I'm not going to say they played particularly well uh, the best game they played with they almost ended up like you know completely screwing everything up it was probably that 3-2 game without Zlatan Ibrahimovic against Minnesota yeah, the game no no the Minnesota game Minnesota game yeah. at home correct yes yeah the Minnesota game at home and they played absolutely wonderful for about 70 71 minutes and then uh, then fell off the face of this earth um so it ended up being 3-2 I mean that was a great win as well but um you know that was the best I think we've seen sort of the LA Galaxy play I don't think they're in any any sort of uh um, danger of peaking 
right now. I think it's going to take a little while, and it's probably going to take a little while after this uh, international break as well. But uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting over the weekend uh, that Stephen Goff at Soccer Insider, and if you don't know, uh, Stephen Goff, who writes for the uh, Washington Post, um, he and uh, he and Bruce were always uh, always like the best interviews were, were sort of between those two guys because I think they're both ridiculously sarcastic. And Kevin, I know you know Steve pretty well. Um, Steve has been sort of taking and, and watching the East versus West, um, looking at the Western Conference and looking at the Eastern Conference. And in the last 13 games, uh, the Eastern Conference has zero wins uh, against the Western Conference. So it's all Western Conference right now for uh, for Major League Soccer. And that's not doesn't necessarily mean it's a long-term trend. But if you go and look at the standings right now, if the LA Galaxy were playing in the Eastern Conference, they would be probably sitting on top of it. They have 25 points. DC. Well, they would be. I mean, the, the top three teams in the Supporter Shield standings are LAFC, Seattle, and the Galaxy. And the Galaxy could vault over Seattle with a win this uh, Wednesday in Kansas City. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the Galaxy could be the second best team in the league right now. Uh, so certainly they'd be leading the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and, and they would. Well, DC United has 25 points right now, so they'd be tied on points. But I think actually the Galaxy w- w- would win the tiebreaker and put them on the Eastern Conference. So basically, if you look at the Supporter Shield, as, as Kevin was right, Los Angeles, Seattle, LA, and then DC United. Um, you have Philadelphia Union. You have the Houston Dynamo. You have the New York Red Bulls. You have Minnesota United. And then it sort of filters into a whole bunch of Eastern Conference teams as they sort of filter in there. Because I do think the Western Conference is maybe a little top-heavy right now. Um, certainly LAFC running away with the league right now with 34 points. The Seattle Sounders with 26 points. LA Galaxy at 25 points in third place. Houston Dynamo, 23 points in fourth place. Minnesota, 21 points in fifth place. RSL, 19.6 uh, seventh place is FC Dallas with 18 points. Then you have San Jose at 17, Vancouver at 17, the Portland Timbers at 14, and don't sleep on the Portland Timbers. Four, six, and two to start their season right now on the road. They open up uh, the uh, their new stadium there, I think, at the beginning of June here. Um, so they'll finally get to play a home game. And having four wins on the road right now is the most wins, tied for the most wins. I'm going through the real quick. Tied for the most wins on the road with the Montreal Impact, who also have four. Um, so the Portland Timbers are probably doing just fine whenever you look at it. The Galaxy's two wins, by the way, not horrible uh, on the road. In fact, uh, very much either middle or middle upper uh, in the league having two wins and, and the, the one draw. I think the Galaxy will have to play more away games in order to sort of see if that continues a trend and they can sort of stick at it. But Portland has always been one of the best teams in the league at home, so they are really going to take off, I think. They, they definitely overperformed on the road when you look at what MLS teams traditionally do on the road. So when Portland starts playing those home games, it, it, they're, you're right, they are going to take off. But when, if you're talking about the standings, look at that goal differential for LAFC, plus 25. Nobody else is even in double digits. Yeah. It's just insane. Plus 7 for Seattle, plus 2 for the LA Galaxy, plus 5 for DC United, plus 9 Philadelphia Union. I told you I thought that was one of the better wins the Galaxy have had. Uh, plus 7 for Houston, plus 5. Uh, the Montreal Impact is ninth in Major League Soccer right now in terms of the Supporter Shield. They're ninth. They have a minus 6 goal differential, Kevin. Um, you know, the, the worst one in the league right now, New England Revolution, who we should certainly talk about at minus 17 on goal differential. So uh, the, the gamut runs wide. But like we said, uh, LAFC is running away from this league right now. Whether or not they can maintain that pace, um, certainly be interesting. But who's going to slow them down? Maybe it's the LA Galaxy. Maybe it's not the LA Galaxy. Maybe it's maybe it's somebody else. But uh, right now, LAFC uh, running away with that. Let's get to uh, to a little alumni news there, Kevin. Uh, we have a lot of alumni news, actually. I, I, I was going to say, there, there's. Wait, let, let me get one. One other thing, because there's just a quick thing, but uh, Team of the Week, Jonathan Dos Santos was named to the MLS uh, Team of the Week in the midfield there. Uh, David Bingham was named to the bench. Luis Robles had a great game for the New York Red Bulls, so he was actually the goalkeeper on there. Otherwise, I think Bingham would have won it. But Bingham gets on the bench. Jonathan Dos Santos gets Team of the Week. Now we can go to Galaxy Alumni News, and let's start with uh, New England Revolution, who I just talked about. Minus 17 in goal differential, but they have a new guy in charge. In fact, they're going to have two new guys that are sort of uh, in charge, and they both have a Galaxy connection there. Yeah, well, as, as we know, it's kind of old news now, but Bruce Arena is back as the coach and general manager. Now, he's general manager. I'm told by someone in New England that Bruce actually physically moved to New England this weekend um, and, and set up how, housekeeping there. He talked about when – he was asked when he was going to come back and coach, and he said it definitely wouldn't be the D.C. United game, which I think they just finished, but that uh, he was not ruling out being back on the sideline for the L.A. Galaxy game this Sunday when New England comes in here. So we could see Bruce back on the sidelines at Dignity Health Sports Park 
um, for the first time since he left after the 2016 season. We don't know that for a fact, and, and Bruce may not even know that until the end of the week. When I looked at the schedule, I thought it would it would have been smart for him to wait until after the Gold Cup break. What he's trying to do now is get comfortable with the team, find out something about the personnel, look at the the budget, uh, you know, look at the salary structure, all those things that he's going to have to do as a general manager. But he's really itching to get back to the sidelines and get back into coaching. And the Galaxy would be a perfect opportunity for him to come back and do that. So um, up in the air right now, um, watch this space. We'll have some more news later in the week when it gets closer to game time, whether or, whether or not Bruce will coach that game or whether the interim coach will continue. But Bruce is, uh, is also going to, in the next few days, Add another familiar face, as you mentioned, Kurt Onofo, who took over for Bruce as coach of the Galaxy when Bruce left after the 2016 season. Kurt Onofo was brought to the Galaxy by Bruce, um, where he uh, was uh, in charge of the academy team for a while and then in charge of the USL team, Galaxy 2, before becoming the first team coach. Bruce Arena is bringing Kurt Onofo back to MLS as his technical director at New England. That has not been announced yet, but it seems to have been done. Kurt Onofo right now is an assistant coach with the US U20 team in Poland. But when that tournament, uh, the World Cup is over, he will return to MLS uh, in New England as technical director for Bruce Arena with the New England Revolution. Uh, Last bit of alumni news for the Galaxy is we talk a lot about Jonathan Dos Santos, his brother Gio is uh, down in Mexico, in Mexico City. He's rehabbing his various injuries with the national te- at the national team training center in Mexico City. He's also been training with the national team, not in, in, in hopes of playing in any games. Uh, what I've been told is that he asked to train, and they, they said, you know, we could use an extra body for some of these drills so we could have, you know, 11-on-11 or 7-on-7, whatever the drill is. So he has been training at the Mexican national team complex as well. Um, when the full team is called up, uh, you know, they may not need him anymore, but he has been working out there. Um, there were rumors that at least three Mexican teams, Monterey, Cruz Azul, and Club America, were all interested in Geo. That rumor is about a month old, and it's not true. Um, it, it seemed kind of obvious because his father and his advisor played for both Club America and Monterey and uh, continues to have connections there. But um, those rumors were not true. If, if they it, it had expressed any interest, they never got to the point where contract t- terms were talked about also a club in in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil um Jonathan and Gio's father is Brazilian and a club down there expressed a little bit of interest that uh rumor was knocked down as well it, it looks like Gio Gio's apparently not backed off the price that he wants he wants something close to the six million dollars he was getting from the galaxy um and he's probably not going to get it from a Mexican league team because that would make him one of the most expensive players in the league. And he's probably not going to get it from Brazil. I'm told now that his best opportunity may be in China, uh, that he may wind up going there. And he needs to do something very quickly, though. He may have to back off his demands because he just turned 30 this month. And uh, a guy at 30, he's played in three World Cups, but a guy at 30 cannot afford to sit out an entire year and then hope to come back and play at a top level. So it it may get to the point where Gio has to accept less money to go play somewhere just to prove that he's fit again. Um, He he can't afford to sit out a whole year at this age. It's interesting because uh, when you look at Giovanni Dos Santos' status, technically he's still under contract with Major League Soccer. So I'm imagining that he can't go anywhere outside of a transfer window. Um, which because he still is technically under contract and the contract just hasn't gone anywhere. Um, and then I, I know you and I, Kevin, were sort of texting back and forth and talking about, you know, what would happen if Geo does get sold and who gets the money? Uh, you know, did the Galaxy get any of the money if Geo gets sold? And I, I don't think the Galaxy get any of the money. I think they're just on the on the hook for his whole salary and that's it. And they write it off and that's the that's the end of it. Um, but I would imagine that if they, he does get transferred or, or traded, um, that Major League Soccer would actually get some of that money. And how does that go back into the teams? And, and he'll say it, it, it opens up too many cans of worms in order for me to like try to research and try to figure out exactly what happens with the player. But Giovanni Dos Santos is technically not out of contract. He hasn't been cut from his contract from Major League Soccer. Remember, all players are signed by Major League Soccer. He's just cut technically from the Galaxy portion of that contract, which says that, you know, they weren't going to use him anymore. And so they basically owe him, you know, however many, six million, six million and a half, whatever that ended up being. And they have to pay that sort of almost regardless of whether or not, um, you know, he's he's has a contract with Major League Soccer. So uh, he's, he's stuck at least for now, uh, in my mind, Kevin, unless another transfer window opens up somewhere else until um, basically the summer transfer window opens. Um, and then teams start adding players again. So him getting healthy now, being 30, um, and doing that is probably a pretty good idea for him in terms of looking to the future and, and what he's going to try to do. 
So, you know, Geo's contract was bought out the day before the season opener. So now uh, three months later, looking back at that, good decision by Dennis DeClosa and the Galaxy to to buy Geo out and let him go, or was that a bad decision? What do you think? I have to think that the flexibility they gained from that and the Ola Kamara deal has made this LA Galaxy season and the rebuilding happen a lot faster than I thought it was. So I think in my mind, uh, you know, not... And never being able to predict sort of what whether uh, Giovanni Dos Santos would have been healthy enough to play uh, or not, uh, it seems like it's a good decision. I think that especially if it has released Jonathan Dos Santos to be able to do what he is able to do this year for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, uh, I, I, that, that would be my argument. Uh, Jonathan's playing like a $6 million player, I think, so far. So if you want to just have fun with the numbers, let's just say you're paying uh, Jonathan uh, Geo six million instead of the two million he's actually making, and and you got rid of Geo, and maybe it only cost you two million. Yeah. I mean that that's that's going kind of wild with the numbers, but um, I, I think it definitely has reinvigorated Jonathan, made him step out from the shadow of his brother, um, and uh, you know I, again you you mentioned last year anytime they got a hangnail or uh, whatever they would not play or train. Um, and I heard some stories about Gio actually going to Jonathan and, and telling him not to train on days when he felt healthy. So the fact that Jonathan now is training every day but playing when he's admitted that he probably shouldn't be on the field, that's just a sea change from where he was the year before, and the Galaxy have definitely benefited from that. There, there's a different attitude on this LA Galaxy team this year. Um, you, whatever you want to say, whether that's uh, GBS, whether that's DTK, um, whether it's the different players that they brought in, um, whether it's the heavy, heavily uh, Latino influence now, lots of Spanish being spoken on that uh, on that field. Whatever it is, there's something different about this LA Galaxy. I think the ceiling for this Galaxy team is just so much higher than what you could have expected possibly from last year's team as well. So um, there have been good, you know, there's been good moves. There's been, I think, all of the moves that, that GBS and Dennis DeClose have made so far have, have certainly put the Galaxy in a position to be successful. Um, it's about now making those pay off over the long term and certainly over this long, hot summer that the LA Galaxy are getting ready to face. Well, only one more game here in May, Kevin. Uh, a May that I think a lot of people had high hopes for. I know I did whenever I was looking at this uh, this May schedule. Even with six games, we said it was going to be the toughest sort of run the LA Galaxy were going to have this year. Um, they got four losses in, to start the season. They got the one win. Uh, another win against Sporting Kansas City on Wednesday would do a long way in making May not the not the complete disaster that it, it could very well turn out to be. Uh, if they lose to Sporting Kansas City, it would be five losses and one win, not the way you want to do it after being the best team in Major League Soccer in April. So well, I want to say one thing quickly before you talk about the attitude. Um, you're right. I mean, I, I do think, especially in 2017, but it, even at times in 2018, there was this fatalism, this feeling like we're not that good. You know, what's going to happen now? How are we going to lose? There seemed to be some players, I think, that were playing for themselves and not for the team. And that that attitude really permeated the clubhouse. And, and there just seemed to be a lot of doom and gloom. You don't feel that this year. And part of the reason for that is we have a new general manager, a new coach, and a lot of new players. Remember Polenta, Gonzalez, Antuna, um, Fabio Alvarez, um, Joe Corona. None of those guys were here last year. They didn't go through that. Uh, as far as they're concerned, um, you know, 2017 and 2018 never happened. And, and I think that's one uh, really important thing, too, that these guys came in as winners from the previous clubs, believing they could win here. And whatever happened before in 2017 and 2018, that doesn't that didn't exist to them. That never happened. Yeah, 20 games remaining now for the LA Galaxy after 14 games. So 20 games remaining. Uh, you have some U.S. Open Cup games in there. We know we have that Liga MX MLS tournament as well. That certainly seems like it'll eventually be officially announced, but is still uh, still on the uh, the calendars there for uh, August, uh, July, August, and September. Um, so sort of keep your eye on that as well. How many games that ends up being? I'm, I'm still it, it it might not be that many games, but it's still just one of those added things. But U.S. Open Cup definitely coming. Uh, for the LA Galaxy and rapidly approaching as well. So look forward to those. Um, if you go to the injury report right now, you of course know Roman Alessandrini is out with his knee injury out until September, and we'll continue to say that almost every podcast until he is back. Uh, the one There's some other ones that we're watching right now. There's ones that we know conclusively about is Diego Polenta, as we said, did not travel with the LA Galaxy to head to Orlando. Um, could feasibly be ready to play against Sporting Kansas City on Wednesday. It was a day-to-day -day ankle injury, so we'll see whether or not comes back. A guy who we haven't seen since he apparently picked up a knock in training 
is Didi Traore. Um, and so that looked like uh, Jorgen Shelvick starting in his position. So we don't know Traore's status. Um, that'll all be stuff that, unfortunately, because of the short week, probably means that we won't know until Wednesday whenever everybody plays again. Uh, the one that was sort of a surprise, and this was put, picked up on social media by a bunch of people, but Juninho did play in an LA Galaxy 2 game over the weekend. Uh, he was actually the captain for that game when, as, as LA Galaxy 2 drew with Orange County uh, Football Club, so the OCFC, or OCSC, I can never remember which one it is, but whichever one. It ended up being Juninho versus Leonardo, because Leonardo was over with Orange County, which was uh, a fun little twist on that as well. But uh, you, you had Juninho uh, playing in this game, and during the broadcast, it was it was sort of you know nonchalantly said that he was dealing with, he had just come back from a four-week or a multi-week concussion issue that he was dealing with. Um, and so while we were, uh, I'm not going to say we were told, because we weren't told, but while we were led to sort of believe that Juninho was coach's decisions on a lot of this, it could very well be that Juninho had a concussion. None of this has been confirmed by the club. I wasn't able to talk to him about it. Um, but it's just another one of those things that sort of pops up randomly whenever you're sitting there uh, going with it. If you don't ask specifically about a player, if you don't specifically say, is Juninho playing? It's like, I feel like we have to go through the roster and go, okay, who didn't dress for this game? And just ask but one by one, is this person hurt? Is this person hurt? Is this person hurt? And go all the way through it. Uh, sometimes these these get missed. So Juninho possibly coming back now, healthy enough to play in the LA Galaxy 2 game. And I imagine if everything goes well, he could be on the bench um, possibly for midweek and or, or next weekend. Did Leonardo start that game for Orange County? I believe you know? he did. But because I'm that not would, a... if, if, if that was true, that would mark the first time two of the Galaxy starters from the 2014 MLS Cup final, which is their last MLS Cup victory, two of the players from that team started for the first time at uh, Dignity Health Sports Park or, well, the track and field stadium in this case. Yeah. But it's at, the, the, at the, the Galaxy, the greater Galaxy sporting complex, would be the first time two Galaxy players started in the same game. It's uh, it's definitely one of those. Uh, let's go to um, let's now go to uh, the the LA Galaxy as they get ready for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, their training schedule says that they did train today, and I know Kevin, you were talking to uh, to some of the LA Galaxy's uh, officials there, trying to figure out uh, whether people were healthy or not. But people did they did train today, likely a walkthrough tomorrow on Tuesday as they then depart for Sporting Kansas City uh, to take on SKC at Children's Mercy park um and so it'll be interesting to sort of see what comes of this lineup and how this goes but the galaxy able to sort of come home get a couple days of rest in their own beds played on friday we're able to travel back on saturday took sunday as a regen session and now monday a uh, probably a pretty light training and then tuesday a light training and then back on the road um tuesday afternoon to take for, get ready for the sporting kansas city game on wednesday let's uh let's get you ready for this game as we look at it uh the la galaxy going traveling to sporting kansas city kevin you said that they haven't won based Basically, uh, in 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 uh, against the never won uh, yeah. a game in the state of Kansas. Yeah, there you go. Never won a game in the state of Kansas. So I was trying to figure out exactly how you put it again uh, because of the uh, the two cities or the one city in the two states as it goes. Uh, right. Last time they last time they, they won there was at Arrowhead Stadium, which is in Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas City, Kansas. And the team was called the Wizards. They weren't called Sporting Kansas City. The, the Wizards. Uh, everybody remembers the Wizards. Um, all right. This game on Wednesday, May 29th, 5.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff uh, at Children's Mercy Park. You can find this game on Spectrum Sportsnet. The LA Galaxy 8-5-1, 25 points going up against Sporting Kansas City. 3-4-5 for 14 points. Do not be fooled by their record. Uh, this is a team that has been decimated by injuries. This is a team that just beat the Seattle Sounders 3-2 to two in a game that I think is really helping out the LA Galaxy. Yeah, Johnny Russell with a hat trick and was the player of the week. He was. He played excellent. Uh, amazing. So if you're looking for the best player on Sporting Kansas City, it's Johnny Russell. Um, hands down, no question about it. Uh, but the uh, Sporting Kansas City is so, and Peter Vermees uh, and Sporting Kansas City are so depleted right now, Kevin, uh, that you're looking at a bench that only had five players on it for SKC. Um, there was a goalkeeper, one defender, two midfielders, and a forward. That was it. Uh, well, and an interesting note about that, we were we were talking about this before we started recording. Benny Fellhaber played in that game and ended a personal 14-game winless streak. He, uh, remember, finished last season with LAFC, who uh, did not win their last two games, including the playoff game. Then he went to Colorado, uh, Colorado signed as a free agent with Colorado. They were 0-7-2 when he was there. They traded him to Kansas City. Then Colorado won the next two games without Benny Fellhaber. Um, Kansas City did not win its first two with him. So finally, Benny Fellhaber got his first victory 
since October of 2018 with that uh, 3-2 win over Seattle. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was I don't a... know what that means, but I just found it uh, fascinating. <laughs> found it interesting. Uh, if you're looking at streaks, the LA Galaxy have two wins in their last six games. And of course, SKC, SKC snapped a seven-game winless streak whenever they beat Seattle 3-2. to um, Again, the, the, the hat trick by Johnny Russell, uh, you know, some really good play. That was a very entertaining match. I don't know if anybody caught it. It was a Sunday game. Here are all the things that sort of seem to be working in the LA Galaxy's favor once you realize that the LA Galaxy are traveling. They're playing a midweek game, um, and those two things are not good. The fact that they also don't win in uh, in Kansas City is also not good. So you have those things sort of stacked up against you if you're looking at the LA Galaxy in this SKC game. But here are the things that are definitely working in the LA Galaxy's favor. The fact that SKC is so injury depleted, uh, that sporting is so injury depleted, that they've had so many issues. Yes, they played very well against Seattle, but the, I, I think it works in the Galaxy's favor that they did snap that that losing streak. That they now have. There's a little bit of, whoo, okay, relief. We we did that. We 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 were able to beat that. Uh, the short turnaround time. Yes, Sporting Kansas City doesn't have to travel. But they do, like we said, have so many injuries that they put a ton of effort into that 3-2 win. A ton. They worked hard for 90 minutes. So I think if you're looking at that team and and what could possibly happen is that, you know, you look at the LA Galaxy and you think that might be an advantage. The fact that uh, SKC played on Sunday and the Galaxy played on Friday, that is an advantage to the LA Galaxy. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that normally offset. You go into this, and if you're on the road, you know the home team has the advantage. So already there's a home team advantage. Uh, the fact that it's midweek probably gives them a little bit more of a home advantage but the short turnaround time for them the fact that their roster is depleted the fact that they just snapped a seven game winless streak um all these things sort of seem to be building up to the fact that the la galaxy probably have a good chance of taking some points a point here is good a point for for the la galaxy is fine i know it's not the three points that everybody would probably want but a point here is a very reasonable take from an skc team that may have turned the corner you don't know, but they certainly played well against a very good Seattle team. So um, there's a bunch of stuff that sort of sits in here and, and it makes it seem like the LA Galaxy might be working in the right direction. The other thing that, of course, we have to point out, Zlatan Ibrahimovic comes back and gets to lead this after he's rested, as you pointed out earlier in this, Kevin. So I, I feel like there should be some positive outlook for the LA Galaxy in terms of what they're able to do and possibly going into Sporting Kansas City and maybe taking a win. May All streaks eventually come to an end, Kevin. If, if you're looking at my famous roulette, uh, you know, sort of a saying here is that, you know, it comes up red so many times, eventually it's going to come up black. The LA Galaxy keep losing in Sporting Kansas City. They keep not winning in Sporting Kansas City. Eventually they're going to get one, and it very well could be this one. I think a lot of things might be lining up for the Galaxy. I know you had some stats about how the Galaxy do when Zlatan scores, but it, the last nine games that he has not played, including the two, the, the suspension, and, and then the Vancouver game right before he made his debut, in those nine games, the Galaxy are 4-4-1, four, four, and one. But in four of those games, they didn't even score a goal. Right. Um, so they got one goal in Orlando, um, and the game before that, they didn't score. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely going to be a positive to have, I think, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Now, the other thing that we haven't seen, Kevin, is we have not seen Fabio Alvarez play with Zlatan Ibrahimovic yet. Um, so seeing that is going to be a little bit of a revelation as well. I think Fabio has played well. Um, I think he's done a good job, but really he was brought in to be able to link with a guy like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And then what is Guillermo Barrascoleto going to do with the with sort of that lineup? And how are they going to yeah. sort Yeah, well, how do you see that lineup? Uh, I think Zlatan plays up alone by himself, as he always does. Um, I think that's fine. I think that you put Fabio Alvarez in the center the same way that he was. I mean, here's the difference. Okay, so if you look at where a Antuna was sort of the lone striker up top against Orlando, um, and then Cuello was playing in Antuna's spot. So in my mind... The only change that really gets made here is that you move Antuna back to his left midfield role. Um, you put Cuello back on the bench, and you put Zlatan Ibrahimovic up, up above, which allows uh, Fabio Alvarez to play underneath Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It allows Fabio Alvarez to go up over Zlatan Ibrahimovic if Zlatan drops back. Um, you know, Sebastian Legette out on that right wing sort of fits. You have Dos Santos and Joe Corona sort of sitting in that two as that defensive side, but Corona... So you do a 4-2-3-1? Yeah, it's, it ends up... It looks like a 4-2-3-1. It also attacks as like a 4-1-4-1 whenever Corona goes up into that midfield and does that again. So all of those things, I think, sort of work back. And then you just sort of have to look at the health and, and availability of Diego Polenta to see if it's Diego Polenta a left back or if it's Jorgen Shelvick at left back. Um, because I don't know that we have a great answer on that. And certainly Guillermo Barrescoloto has been leaning towards not starting Shelvick whenever uh, Polenta has been healthy. And whether or not Gonzalez goes out left back or 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 uh, or, or Polenta's plays in there, it's, a, it's interesting that Dan Steris has played so well 
well that Guillermo Parrish-Colotto is working this, working those, uh, those the, that back line around down Dan Steris to make sure that they keep Steris back there. I miss Dave Romney. You miss Dave Romney? He's there. He was on the bench. I mean, you could you could have waved at him if you were in Orlando. Um, I think that one of the greatest assets that any team in Major League Soccer can have is a domestic starter. Um, a guy who doesn't take up an international slot, a guy who doesn't take up TAM or DP or anything like that. But whenever you look at it, having a, a, a domestic like defender is one of the biggest assets. And so for me, um, if you're the LA Galaxy, you either figure out a way to uh, trade Dave Romney or you trade Dan Steris for something that you want because somebody else is going to want that. Or you figure out a way to get you know those guys on the field and, and do all that stuff as well. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting sort of conundrum that uh, Guillermo Barrascoleto finds himself in that he basically has three starting center backs that he has to pretty much play um, every single game. Um, and whether or not that means that uh, Rolf Felcher gets a break eventually, um, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Uh, Rolf Felcher is going to be playing there for a little while as uh, Araujo is still up with the USU 20. So uh, there's, there's no depth over there on the right-hand side, which is why, by the way, Dave Romney is on the bench. Um, and he'll be there and he backs up all four of those positions on that back line. I don't know. I, you know, the last couple of years he's come on and been sort of that Swiss Army knife, played in all kinds of different positions, and and last year definitely played a key role in that late season drive that almost paid off for the playoff berth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount him. I, I think at some point this season, maybe it'll be in the U.S. Open Cup. I don't know, but at some point this season, Dave Romney is going to make a huge contribution to this team. It's yeah, just, it, it's happened the last two years. It's going to happen. It's again. going to happen again. It's, it's it's you know a broken clock is is, is right two times a day. Uh, type of thing. It's it's eventually going to happen. Um, yeah, I think U.S. Open Cup certainly coming up. I think a lot of the guys who you haven't seen playing a ton of minutes, you're going to find the U.S. Open Cup, um, and that's rapidly approaching. Like we said, I think the draw for that is on the 30th, uh, May 30th, I believe, is when the draw actually comes out. So the Galaxy will find out who they play now. There's a chance that the Galaxy end up playing, you know, an MLS opponent, even though they should probably play a lower level because some teams, there's there's a handful of teams every year that end up playing MLS teams sort of in that fourth round. Um, so we'll see what the LA Galaxy end up doing and sort of what their path to the U.S. Open Cup could possibly be. But uh, And it'll be interesting to see how seriously Guillermo Barros-Colotto takes it um, and what his experience with Major League Soccer and what his experience obviously coaching other way and playing in other leagues uh, means sort of for this U.S. Open Cup. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the lineups are um, and who they end up playing. So that's all uh, uh, approaching rapidly as well. Um, I, anything else, Kevin, you want to get to before we're we're probably done? I mean, oh, we done? That was fast. Yeah, it was an hour. I mean, it wasn't like it. We just had a lot to talk about, so we filled it pretty well. Um, I would say that we have a live show coming up on Thursday, so you, of course, can get ready for that. Uh, there's a game on Wednesday, so that Thursday show will be recapping that game against Sporting Kansas City and getting you ready for the June 2nd, that Sunday game against the New England Revolution. Remember, June 2nd says originally June 1st, and I keep making that mistake. Don't yeah. make my mistake. Yeah, don't. You, it's That's because you printed out a calendar. Everybody else just looks it up online where it's already changed you know get yeah well i'm i'm old i'm old school get yes. off hey you kids get off my lawn yes. i'm one of those guys I, yeah. when when I, when I, I still get the newspaper <laughs> what's that i think i have to i work for a i was gonna say it's probably not even the one that you write for it'll probably it's probably somebody else's newspaper uh, that's everybody's news i get three a day uh, three three newspapers what do you do with all those newspapers <laughs> i recycle i was gonna say but i you... do i get three newspapers a day i get the uh, on a daily basis i get the la daily news it's southern california news group uh, I get the LA Times, and I get the New Hall Signal, and then uh, on the weekend the New Hall Signal doesn't print, so I get the New York Times. Wow, wow! And and you read all those, right? <laughs> I do. I actually I do. You're crazy, craziness, craziness. By the way, by the way, um, Guillermo did play in the U.S. Open Cup when he was here. Actually, he made it to the final in 2010. Columbus did. I think he was still there then. So he's uh, he's a little bit familiar on how that goes. He is. It, but I just wonder what sort of his mentality is, whether or not he thinks that, you know, going for that is an important thing, or is, you know, the league more important for the LA Galaxy right now? And I think that everybody, I think that fans who watch are probably going to say, you know, kind of screw the U.S. Open Cup. They will, they'll admit that, but only after the Galaxy are either eliminated or lose, they'll complain if Guillermo doesn't start like a first-team lineup and doesn't take it seriously because that's what they did with Bruce Arena every but, single year. You know, it, it's a trophy and you want to win trophies. But the great thing about this Galaxy team, and, and again, you look at any other team, and I would even say you, you you might put the Galaxy over LAFC in this category of the depth. I mean, so you rest, maybe you rest three of your four um, guys on the back line. You're still going to have 
Romney, you know, Shelvick can probably be available to play. Um, uh, you yeah, know, they're Rajo, very deep. The, yeah, Rajo might be able to tra- play. Yeah. Traore, yeah. Yep. Rajo, you know, you're very deep there. In the midfield, maybe not so much. You know, there's a big drop-off if you don't play Janino and Joe Corona. Uh, um, but you have uh, Zubek, you know, you could play uh, – and 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 Tuna could play a number of different positions yeah. up front now. Fabio Alvarez he hasn't played in a year or so or hasn't played much, so he's definitely fresh. You could d- definitely use him twice a week during the U.S. Open Cup. I think the Galaxy do have a lot of depth, and Janino is going to get a chance to play in there. I think the Galaxy do have a lot of depth that they could uh, actually put a second team lineup out on the field in the U.S. Open Cup and still be very very successful. Now the, the but the difference is now when you get to the later stages, the semifinals and finals, where you're in the middle of the of the you know playoff race uh, with the first team in MLS. Do you do you use Zlatan in MLS in a U.S. Open Cup game? Do you play Jonathan knowing his hip problem? That's where I think it gets dicey when you have to win those knockout round games and you don't want to necessarily use your first team players because you've got MLS to worry about. That's where it gets tough. But I think the opening stages, uh, the depth of the Galaxy is so is so great that uh, I don't think they're going to have a problem. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that all comes down. Again, uh, I think the draws coming up for that. We'll we'll cover that whenever it happens. All right, uh, Galaxy play Wednesday, May 29th, 5:30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Children Mercy's Park at Sporting Kansas City. The game is broadcast on Spectrum Sportsnet, so uh, head on over there. That's where you're going to be able to find it. Uh, so I think that about does it. All right, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11, and of course, head on over to latimes.com for all of his coverage. Getting ready for the U.S. Women's National, excuse me, the U.S. Women's National team going to play in the U.S. Women's or in the Women's World Cup. God, you'd think I'd be able to talk. It's not that hard. Uh, but Kevin's getting ready and geared up for that as he'll be he- heading to France for the Women's World Cup, so he'll be covering that uh the la galaxy just two games remaining before that international break the gold cup coming up um and then obviously copa america five la galaxy players possibly gone uh for international duty we'll keep our eyes on that all right again a thursday show coming up that will get you ready for the sunday game against new england revolution but get ready for the sporting kansas city game on wednesday first all right for mr kevin baxter the panda himself i'm josh guestman pato and you've been listening to corner of the galaxy from the box on corner of the have a great one everybody You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.